Broncos country. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. Touchdown Denver. All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Touchdown Denver, hosted by myself, George Stoya, the Denver Gazette, and my good friend, Nick Ferguson. Nick, um, another loss. Uh, in incredible fashion, too. Uh, it seems like uh, it seems like they, they lose, Nick, every week, sort of in the same way, but in a new way, if that makes sense. Like, it's always a close game, offense can't score, and then something happens where they lose the game. This time, Broncos lose in overtime to the Raiders. Um, they're up 16-13. Raiders go down the field, which we can discuss, you know, the amount of time they were given was a baffling decision to throw the ball uh, on third down before they punted. Uh, they go down, they tie the game, send it to overtime, three plays into overtime. Devontae Adams gets open for a wide open touchdown uh, and the game's over and the Broncos lose. And they're, they're three and seven. Uh, Nick, let me just ask you this. Um, where's your, where's your mind at with this group, Nick? I, I feel like we have the same conversation every single week, but where's your mind at after, after another, just, Brutal loss. Well, you know where my mind is. We go through the same song and dance uh, for the past 11 weeks. So nothing has really changed. Uh, this team uh, is finding ways to lose games that you figure as though they should win. I mean, you mentioned uh, the lead. They were out 10 to nothing. Same thing happened in the Titans game last week, but they found a way to kind of give that game away as well. But this is where the Broncos are. And it is frustrating as a fan and it's frustrating, I'm sure, for the coaching staff, but more importantly, the players, because you keep thinking that you're right there on the precipice. Every time something great happens for you, then something poor happens for you. Case in point, you think about that drive when the Broncos moved the ball down the field, they hand it off to Melvin Gordon off the right-hand side. The ball is poked out again. Luckily, uh, Johnny on the spot is Quinn Miners. He jumps on the ball. You go, okay, okay. All right, woo, the, Bron the Broncos dodge a bullet. Maybe they'll be able to get three points before halftime, knowing as though they're going to get the ball back. But lo and behold, guess what? Usually we say the Chargers are going to charge her, but in this case, the Broncos did Bronco, and that uh, field goal was blocked. So negated any points for the Broncos going into the half. So once again, George, it is rather frustrating to watch this team kind of uh, go through these uh, cycles and it's almost like you, you obviously you're very encouraged. You want them to win, but it gets to a point where certain things start to happen and you go, gosh, darn it. Here we go again. And that's become pretty much a rallying cry for this 2022 season. Yeah. And, you know, I would like to pat myself on the back, Nick, because oh, I boy. actually predicted uh, uh, in the Denver Gazette this week that the game would end in a 16, six 16 to 16 tie, which <laughs> I know it did not, but I was, I in the press box, I was, you know, applauding myself, uh, telling everybody that, hey, I predicted this. What? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, wait, don't don't break your hand, patting yourself on the back, George. Don't tell me you were sitting in that press box saying, hey, you know what? I did mention this early in the week. Hopefully it comes true because it makes me George Stradamus, right? That's what you were doing. So you oh, put yeah. my boss on the Broncos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I would also like to add that. Last week, I correctly predicted 17 to 10, the Titans would win. So maybe I'm just a genius. Um, but <laughs> I think I think what that does tell us, though, Nick, is that 
it's become pretty predictable what's going to happen with this team. And I say that, you know, kind of half kidding, but like also pretty serious in the sense that like, we've seen this story unfold a million times. And that's why sitting there with a 16-13 lead in the fourth quarter, we all knew what was coming. We we're like, well, the Raiders are going to get a chance. They're going to get to go score. Uh, and I, I just, I can't believe they threw the ball on that third down. And I don't know if it changes the outcome. Maybe they still hit the wheel route and they get down there and they, they kick a field goal to send it to overtime. But the thought process to give them the ball back with, I think it was a minute 40 something, maybe a minute 50 something uh, instead of with about a, probably, it probably would have been about a minute 10 instead with the ball um, was just a baffling decision. So uh, just some, some, some odd choices. I did want to ask you though, Nick, uh, what did you think of the offense, especially since, you know, Clint Kubiak took over play calling, which you and I, we've talked about this, uh, you know, previously on this podcast about, hey, if you're going to make a change, it's Clint Kubiak. Uh, and I believe, Nick, you might have been the one that actually pushed for it originally. It was like, give it up to Clint Kubiak, let him call plays. I can't remember exactly, but what did you think of the job he did? I mean, they, they started off hot, 92-yard drive, touchdown drive. They had not opened a, a game with a touchdown drive in 15 games, almost a full season uh, ago that they opened a, a game with a touchdown. What did you think of the job Clint Kubiak did? Uh, you know, at the uh, outset, it was great. I mean, you mentioned moving the ball down the field on the opening drive, especially right after the defense did a great job of shutting down the Raiders. And I was really excited. I'm sure everyone in the stadium was really excited as well. It was like, hey, you know, this is how the offense should operate because it seemed like, for one, it had somewhat of an identity and it had established somewhat of a, a rhythm. And we saw Russell doing a couple of different things that we hadn't really seen him do consistently, and we saw him under center. And when a quarterback is able to go under center, that changes a lot of things because it makes the defense have to play both run and pass because you don't know what is going to be. Will he hand the ball off or will he pull it out and throw the ball down the field? But also when a quarterback is under center, you can use your cadence, especially at home. You can use your hard count. You can use your quick count, and then you can, you can use your solid count. All those things were available to Russell in his offense that we did not see uh, before. So I was really excited about the outlook and the future of the offense moving forward. And the first thing I thought, George, was like, okay, well, two things. One, why didn't this happen earlier in the season? And two, now that cool Clint Kubiak is the OC, we don't know how long, and we'll get into that with Nathaniel Hackett's comments, but if you're Justin Outen, how do you feel right now knowing as though Coach Hackett, whether he was forced to or he decided to go with the quarterback coach and Clint Kubiak opposed to you, Justin Outen, the, I guess, titled offensive coordinator? Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thought, Nick. Um, you know, I, I, I even thought, I was like, well, what's Justin Outen's job? if he's not the one calling the plays, you know, uh, and Nathaniel's not calling the plays either. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, they juggle that. Um, I would assume Clint's going to keep calling the plays. I mean, look, they didn't score as many points, which is still an issue. And maybe we found out today that that wasn't all Hackett's fault. Uh, but it did seem like they moved the ball a lot better than they had previously. Uh, their drives today, Nick, in the first half, they only had three possessions in the first half. They scored a touchdown, they scored a field goal, and then they had the one that went all the way down to the goal line and they end up getting the field goal block. The second half, though, Nick, uh, it was punt, punt, field goal, punt, field goal, punt, 
end of game. Um, so, you know, not as good in the second half. Nathaniel Hackett was asked about that after the game and also kind of the job that Clint Kubiak did. We have the audio right here from Broncos.com. Yeah, we need to uh, keep looking at all the different things that we're doing. Uh, we need to be sure that we're moving the chain, scoring points, finishing drives. Had a chance there at the end of that first half to get some more points, and we came away with nothing. Uh, it's unacceptable. You know, we, we can't do that. We got to score a touchdown. I mean, at least get the field goal, and we didn't come away with either. So uh, that's frustrating. And uh, we got to keep on uh, keep on working to get Cortland the ball. All the different things that we can do. Get Latavius going. I thought he had a pretty nice game. Uh, so uh, got to find ways to score points. Again, Nick, um, Hackett continues to just say things that, that I mean, I I just don't think he has answers, right? Like he continues to say things that's like, yeah, we got to score more points. It's like, yeah, dude, we know. You know, you need to score more points. Um, I, I think, Nick, maybe one of the most disappointing, you know, parts of the game, though, and you never want to say they, they lose a game because of one play, and, and they didn't lose, you know, because of this particular play, but you look back on you're like, man, if they would have scored there – uh, this game could have been totally different. And that's the Melvin Gordon fumble. And Nick, we've talked about it on here a lot. That continues to be an issue with Melvin. You know, after the game, Melvin was pretty upset in the locker room, talked with the media, uh, you know, was very professional about it. But just what went through your head when you saw uh, that happen yet again? The first thing I thought about was Melvin the player. See, I, I didn't think about what most fans thought about. Gosh darn it, Melvin, go and drop the ball again. I immediately thought about Melvin and what he was going to go through mentally and were, was the fact that would he be able to fight through that? Well, the team now said, okay, well, Chase Edmonds is down. We came in the game with two backs, but now we're going to lean heavily on Latavius Murray like they, they've done before in the past. And then now you Melvin Gordon is left to stand there on the sideline and be there with his thoughts. And it, it is or it can be a troubling thing if you're a player and you have – uh, somewhat of a slump or you have certain struggles to just stand there during a game, but most importantly being away from the game and you now have to replay that over and over in your mind. And that's kind of been the type of season for Melvin thus far. So yeah, I'm sure he was definitely emotional. He was the, the, the little deflated because once that happened, you saw a lot of his carries go down. Now they had to still rely on him because they could not run the Tavis Murray into the ground because once again, the chase Edmonds injury, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was a big gasp of air. Like, Oh man, just when I thought Melvin was coming around, here's something else that's going to kick him while he's down. And we just have to wait to see how he responds to this. But more importantly, what does the team do with this information moving forward? And yet we don't know the severity of uh, chase Edmonds injury, but if it's something that's going to keep him out a couple of weeks, the team may be forced to keep Melvin Gordon in action. I can tell you Chase Edmonds was Chase Edmonds was on crutches after the game uh, in the locker room, which is probably not a great sign, but we'll have to see exactly what, what the injury is. Latavius Murray also got a little banged up towards the end. I think he was limping a little bit. I think he was fine, but he was limping a little bit towards the end of the game. So everybody's out there you know, saying, hey, they got to cut Melvin tomorrow. You don't have any other running backs, uh, so you can't really do that. Um, and also, I thought he came back. You know, he made the big catch on the sideline uh, on one of those drives. I think they, that yeah. was to get the field goal in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, and again, it, it's just a tough. It's tough, man, because they, they're in a they're in a tough spot. They can't really get rid of him. Uh, and and you know, 
people aren't going to like to hear this, but you do kind of feel bad for Melvin. Yeah, but he, he's got, he's just got to figure out to hold on to that ball. But again, that's not why they ended up losing the game. Um, Nick, what did you just think of the offense stalling in the second half? We'll get to the defense in a bit uh, and kind of what happened towards the end of the game. But before we take a break here, Nick, what did you think stopped the offense from? Because they were moving the ball in the first half. I mean, that was one of the better offensive first, first halves that they, they, they had had. I think 192 yards in the first half uh, of, of, of total offense. Russell Wilson looked great. He was making throws that he hadn't been making all year. Uh, what, what happened in the second half that, that made them stall? Well, it's kind of slow motion for this offense. It's uh, death by a thousand cuts, if you will, because, you know, as a play caller, you try to design plays. And we saw, you know, Clint Kubiak try to utilize the guys that were available to him and Greg Dosage. Kendall Hinton was having a uh, decent game. And Corlin Sutton, the guy who I thought needed to step up in this game, I mean, that back shoulder, uh, back, back shoulder throw that he just kind of caught over his shoulder, those are the type of catches that we expected from a guy who's the Broncos' number one wide receiver. And what happened in that second half, it was execution, right? I, I look at these games that the Broncos have lost as a combination of play calling and execution. Once again, I still give uh, Clint Kubiak some credit, knowing as though he was coming in, still trying to use the same verbiage that they have learned thus far to make sure that he keeps the offense in rust and some type of flow of a rhythm. But it just those types of things. And, you know, the Broncos tried to run the ball. It wasn't a lot of explosive plays, but they tried to be efficient and consistent with running the ball. They were never able to establish it in the same way that the Raiders were. And for me, that was something that really took a little air out of the a room at, at the stadium, not being able to stabilize that. Because when you do that, once again, understanding how it helped the Raiders moving forward, it, it, it allows you to throw the ball down the field because now those linebackers are definitely going to step up. Case in point, the play in, in the fourth quarter, when you look at Foster Monroe, the pass that he caught, I believe, in overtime, and Alex Singleton was in coverage. It, it, it's, it's similar to a play where the Broncos took advantage with their tight end versus the Texans uh, linebacker who decided to step up and not really anticipate the speed of Eric Salva running past him. The same thing happened to uh, Alex Singleton. And I'm not, I'm not trying to single him out and saying, well, that particular play ruined the game or killed the game for the Broncos. It's just another situation or example, George, of how all it takes for one play here by one guy, another play by another guy, either on either side of the ball, and the team find themselves in a tight situation. So that's basically kind of what happened with the Broncos, not just in overtime, but an entire game. Yeah, and it just that that Nick honestly has been a theme for the season, right? Is you know, you see these teams winning these close games against the Broncos, and, and it's often because they make just a couple more big plays, and the Broncos just can't seem to get those. So uh, we're going to dive into some of that, Nick. I want, I want to get into some of the big plays, especially towards the end of the game. Uh, but let's take a quick break, and then we'll dive into those. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, everybody, we're back from that quick break. And, Nick, we, we discussed kind of big picture there what happened in the game, but let's let's go into the final few minutes of this game because 
it really felt like the Broncos were the better team for probably about 58 minutes, right? Um, and they had put themselves in a spot where they're up three, uh, you know, two-minute warning. It's third and I want to say nine, maybe. Raiders have used all their timeouts. So you're thinking, you know, hey, just don't turn the ball over here. Run the ball, hand it off to Latavius Murray or, or Melvin Gordon even, and, you know, try to churn some clock. Get get it down to where the Raiders only have just over a minute left, uh, uh, you know, to, to go down the field and get in field goal range. And your defense has been playing great, right? They've come up with multiple stops. You're trusting your de- you trust your defense, right? Instead, the Broncos opt to throw the ball on third down, which is just, I mean, I can't believe they did that. Uh, just a mind-boggling decision, in my opinion. Uh, we have the audio here. I want to play this first, Nick, uh, from Russell Wilson describing why they chose uh, uh, to to throw the ball on that third down and what happened on the play. And then I want to get your reaction. So here's the audio from Broncos.com. Yeah, we, 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 when we called a pass play, um, you know, it was third and ten. Called a pass play to uh, to you know try to end the game basically um, right there. Um, we we get a first down. The game's over. Um, and then uh, I, I, you know, they kind of covered it up pretty good. I kind of get outside the pocket, and then Virgil was coming scrambling down. Thought I had him, and, and uh, tried to take a shot to him. And the ball just, you know, kind of went away for a little bit. But we got, a, we got the best defense in the world, and you know, unfortunately, um, you know, it didn't work out this time. Nick, here, here's my thought on on the play: is I'm I, look if you want to throw the ball there and say, you know what, let's go for the let's let's just try to win the game right here. That's fine, but I think you've got to say. Okay, we're going to throw the ball here, but Russell, you've got two options. It's either this guy's open on the play, it's Cortland Sutton maybe, right, on a slant or something, or you throw it to Latavius Murray and it's a, a you know, for sure known he's going to catch the ball, the clock's going to run. Or if nothing's there, Russell, just go down, you know. And you watch the play unfold, Nick, and he rolls right, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking in the press box, I'm like, just go down. No one's open, just go down. Take the sack, take the loss of yardage, run the clock. But he throws it out of bounds. They get the ball back with a minute, I think, 53 or whatever it was. And the Raiders are able to go down. What, what was your reaction, one, when it happened live, and then listening to Russell's explanation? Well, for one, I thought, you know, the play was poorly uh, executed for a lot of reasons. And, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. They pick up that first down. No one's having this conversation. Could they decided to, you know, throw a slant? They, that play was kind of successful with Cortland Sutton. I think Russ connected with him like two or three times on that. Also, they had plays where they were leaking the backs or the tight ends out late into the flat. That could have proven to be a, a well play that you could have utilized to pick up the first down. But once again, hindsight being 20-20, knowing the situation with the Raiders, I believe the Raiders at that point did not have any timeout. So I, I understand what you're saying. You go down, you kill a clock, right? You, you give the Raiders uh, less time to move the ball down the field. But on that particular play, even though they didn't connect, Russell had the right play in mind, right? Once again, it wasn't executed properly because there was a wide receiver in that particular area. But the problem was, the tackle and the guard on that side allowed the allowed the protection to break down, and Russ had a hand in his face. That's kind of one of the reasons that play broke down. But once again, when you look at it, you say, okay, well, what did failure to execute allow the Raiders to do? 
you're going to look at that play, criticize and ostracize it. But once again, I just, I personally feel watching it. I thought it was a good play. It was like, oh, I thought he's, oh, you know what? Oh, snap. He couldn't make the connection with the wide receiver. Someone was in his face. But obviously, you you know, going back, George, looking at it, you say, okay, if you go down uh, on that particular play, you know, you, you don't really kill the clock and you give time uh, back to uh, the, the Raiders. But I, I understand, you know, both sides of it. You have to uh, take risks sometimes. And sometimes those risks don't really work out for you as it did not work out for the Broncos in this case. And what Russell was saying, if they make that play, they convert that first down, the game is pretty much over at that particular point. And the reason that we are talking about it and everyone will be talking about it and Hackett and, you know, Clint Kubiak and Russell will have to answer questions until they play the Carolina Panthers. Why did you not run the ball in that particular play? But I guess they saw something and thought they could execute it. But when you have a hand in your face, it makes it a little difficult. Yeah, I just, I don't know, Nick. I just, it made too much sense to run the ball there and just say, you know what, we're going to trust our defense um, to make a play. I mean, they, they've been playing great. They're the best defense in the league, arguably. Uh, you know, Derek Carr, no timeouts, a minute 10 you know, on the clock, I just, I like Denver's odds there, but you know, I get it. You're going for the win and, and, and all that, but uh, I don't know, Nick, look, it, it doesn't matter though. Right. They still Broncos defense has a chance to, to stop them. Uh, take me through that Raiders drive. And really the big play, Nick was the wheel route. I think it was to Jacobs. And mm-hmm. uh, what happened on that play to allow that to happen uh, and, and set them up with, Gosh, they, they almost won the game, uh, you know, a couple plays later. But what happened on that that particular play uh, that, that busted for the Broncos? Before I get into that, I, I, want, I want to go back to something that you said because you use uh, a, a logic when you apply the, the – think about the situation. Even on that particular play, the defense still had an opportunity to rise up to the challenge and stop the Raiders, off, Raiders offense. So going back to, to that particular play that you're talking about, it was Josh Jacobs versus Josie Drew. And here are some indicators. Every player, offense and defense, George, you look for indicators. Anytime you have a quarterback in the shotgun and the back is offset, there are certain plays, maybe three to four plays, that the offense could possibly run. But knowing as a defensive player, you know you can eliminate some of those plays. One of those plays is the back running to the flat. Another play is a guy looking like he's going to run out and he's coming to cross face the linebacker. The other play is the play that Josh Jacobs actually ran against Josie Jewell. And if you think about this, that's a similar type play was run against uh, the same Broncos, but Bradley Chubb was in coverage in San Francisco when he was covering Kyle Juszczyk. So there's a scouting report and you know, okay, on this particular situation, what are the percentages that the Broncos are going to be in man coverage? If they are in man coverage, here is the route. Here's the man beater. Known as though Josie Jewell, man, he had an awesome game. Both he and Alex Singleton had awesome game. But in pivotal moments, the plays that they need to make, they didn't make. So when Josh Jacob is running this route, clearly he has out leveraged Josie Jewell. And Josie Jewell doesn't have the foot speed to keep up with him. But luckily, Justin Simmons is able to come over. I personally would have liked Justin Simmons to use more of his arms to wrap up Josh Jacobs instead of his shoulder, but it was enough 
to cut him down. But the Broncos still stood tall, even though even though they gave up that play, George. They held the Raiders to a field goal, right? So with all that said, the Broncos still have the game in hand. Do they not? They do, Nick. But I will say when they got when they sent it to overtime, I had little faith that the Broncos were going to win. Um, and that was just because I didn't think the Broncos could score. Like I didn't I didn't think the Raiders were going to score the way they did in overtime and that quickly. But I just was like, well, I just don't have faith that the Broncos will figure it out offensively to score themselves. So, um, you know, you're right. They they got the stop. They sent him. You know, you know, were able to hold him to a field goal to send it to overtime. Then they did this like weird, like I was shocked they didn't come out and just take a knee. There was like 16 seconds and I'm like, you could very well just throw an interception the way that you're playing offensively and they just kick a field goal to win it. Anyways, they go to overtime, Nick. Uh, Raiders get the ball. I don't remember their first play. I want to say that they didn't do much on the first play. Maybe it was, a I can't remember, but second play, you mentioned it earlier, they hit the tight end down the middle. Uh, he beats Alex Singleton. Big play to the, what was it, the 35, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, Broncos 35, they're in business. Uh, and then the play to Devontae Adams, wide open. And I, I think a lot of people at first were like, what happened? How do you let him get so wide open? Well, Sertan fell on the sword after the game, uh, said he got beat on a double move. Nick, what did you see on that play? Uh, was, that, was that touchdown on Sertan? Sertan took the blame for it after the game, which was interesting, Nick. In the locker room, we're all kind of waiting to talk to Sertan, uh, and there's a big media contingent, you know, trying to talk to him. So we're all standing there waiting, and Pat's like, yeah, just one minute, and he's getting dressed. And Justin is getting dressed next to him a little ways down. And Justin yells, uh, just so you guys know, it's not all on one guy. We didn't lose this game because of one player. Basically saying, like, hey, don't put this on him. Don't put this on Pat. Uh, because of, of the last play. I thought it was interesting uh, that Justin said that. But, uh, Nick, what did you see on that final play? And, and I, I mean, I don't blame Pat Sertan for them losing this game, by the way. I don't think, I don't think anybody's blaming Pat Sertan uh, for this loss. But I thought it was interesting Justin said that. Well, that's interesting that you're saying that no one's blaming Pat Sertan. But we live in Denver, Colorado. We know how the local media works. That's true. You just, you just wait, George. You just wait. Someone's going to be saying is Pat, it was Patrick Sertan's fault and he gave up two touchdowns against Devontae Adams. So basically what happened on, on that play, and Justin Simmons is right. He is a team leader, but he, as a safety, he knows one play, one player does not lose a football game uh, for any team. On that particular play, you saw the Raiders had a reduced formation. And what they did with... Devontae Adams, I don't know if this play was called by Josh McDaniels or it was backyard football with, you know, Devontae Adams going back to, uh, I guess, what is it? Was it San Jose State where he went with Derek Carr? Uh, Fresno State. Oh, Fresno State. Close. Thank you. Whatever it was, it was backyard. It, it could have been backyard football because it looked as though Devontae Adams was going to run the similar route that he ran in the first half against Patrick Sertan. And Sertan thinking, okay, well, I've seen it before. I'm going to beat you to the punch. And then Devontae put his foot in, the, foot in the ground, and then he came out of that route, and it was just him by himself. Now, Simmons was back there, but he wasn't in a position to make a play because Devontae was running that, that, that corner route back to the right side pylon. 
once again, is either a great play call and recognition by Josh McDaniels or two former team college teammates playing backyard football. Either way, the play ended up killing the game for the Broncos, winning the game for the Las Vegas Raiders. But once again, think about how you led this question. Well, I don't think that it was Patrick Satan's fault. Watch. Local media. Headlines. PS2. Not as good as advertised. And they will be dead wrong. Yeah. I mean, look. Sertan got beat on, on that play. And Nick, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the first touchdown was all on Sertan. I know he was in coverage there. I believe Kareem Jackson was supposed to be a little bit more in help there. It doesn't matter. They didn't lose the game because of Patrick Sertan. He played fine. Was it his best game of the season? Of course not. But Devontae Adams is the best wide receiver in the NFL. I mean, the, the guy's going to get his every once in a while, right? Um, and so these people – I mean, I had people in my mentions like, Pat Sertan stinks. Like, I can't believe he let that happen. It's like, come on, guys. Like, this is this is arguably the best quarterback in, in, in the country. Like, what, what are we talking about here? Um, you know, so I – I don't blame him at all. Uh, I don't really blame the defense. I know we just broke down a couple plays that cost him, right? Uh, but again, let me read you here. The second half possessions by the Broncos, all possessions that if they just score one touchdown, Nick, they win the game, right? They win the game if they can put the, put together one touchdown drive, punt, punt, field goal, punt, field goal, punt, end of half or end of end of game. I mean, come on. Like this, this is, again, look, the defense needs to come up with more stops. Sure, they need to come up with the big ones at the end of games. But my gosh, Nick, the offense has got to put together some more points to win these games. Yeah, they they, they have. Obviously, the narrative is going to continue to be the same because the outcome is pretty much the same with the Broncos. But I still go back to this. The Broncos at time moved the ball down the field. I mean, when you think about the Broncos moving the ball down the field with Kendall Hinton, well, which I thought was a touchdown, Come one play later, it's a one-yard plunge by Latavius Murray. Okay, they did a great job there. On the drive where Melvin Gordon fumbled the ball, they guess what? They moved the ball down the field. Russ made some great throws, even with Denzel Perriman. I mean, constantly hitting Russ as a free runner. It's like someone pick up this middle linebacker because he is dirtying the back of Russell Wilson's jersey. But Russ stood in there knowing as though he was going to get hit and still made some great throws. The one throw he made, I don't know how he made it. And luckily that, you know, Melvin Gordon was in the vicinity. Maybe he saw him or whatever, but he was being taken down. Threw the ball in the air. Melvin catches the ball and runs for a couple of yards. Once again, when I look at this team, is it a finished product? No. Do I like what I started to see from Clint Kubiak? And with some of the quick throws, getting some of the other guys involved, yes. Do I want more of that? Yes. And also, I mean, the darling of last week's game, even in a loss by the Broncos, was Jalen Virgil. There was no Jalen Virgil sighting. George, where was that? And when, when, when you are in a situation that the Broncos find themselves in, man, it's all hands on deck. We need to get everyone involved in the ball game, and we need to do it on a consistent rate because, once again, this offensive line, as makeshift as it is, I think this is maybe the seven different lineup and ten games. You need to make it easy on them and keep with 
the short, quick game. And oh, by the way, if there's anything I'm upset with as far as today's play calling, it was not going to a more up-tempo off, uh, offense early in the game instead of waiting into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish I had answers, Nick. Um, I, I, I feel like we try to come up with solutions for this offense every single week and we can't find them. But uh, we have to take a quick break uh, and then let's dive into Nick, maybe some big picture stuff as they move forward. I mean, I, I, I mean, I asked Nathaniel Hackett about his job security uh, in the postgame press conference. I'll tell you what he said after we take this quick break and we'll dive into some of that stuff. Nick. Let's ride with Touchdown Denver. Touchdown Denver. Hosted by Nick Ferguson and George Stoya. All right, everybody, we're back from that quick break. Uh, And Nick, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Nathaniel Hackett because I think it's on everyone's mind. Um, You know, this was a game, you and I talked about it. It was talked about, you know, throughout the week by a bunch of people. If the Broncos lose this game, is Nathaniel Hackett, you know, Uh, without a job come Monday. I don't think so, right? Like, I don't think they're going to make that move. It was a close game. Um, You know, did they show improvement? I don't know. I think, you know, having Clint call plays probably saves him some time in terms of, you know, uh, getting fired. Um, But I did ask him straight up after the game, just what what does he think of his future? Has he talked to George Payton? Has he talked about Greg Pinner, uh, talked to Greg Pinner about, his job security, and he basically said, hey, uh, I'm focused on this team. Uh, I, I can't control any of that. Whatever happens, happens. Um, not exactly a vote of confidence, Nick, uh, in his job, I would say. Uh, you know, a couple players were asked about his job security, which, you know, they said, you know, we like Nate and all that stuff. We're going to try and turn things around. But there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, rah-rah for, for Hackett, I would say. Uh, what do you think his job security looks like after a loss like this? Because I would argue they've had some bad losses this year, Nick, some really bad ones. But losing to the Raiders at home, a bad Raiders team, getting swept by Josh McDaniels uh, this season, losing to him twice, it's just not good. Uh, and I just I, I have I have a bad feeling that this uh, could be the end of Nathaniel Hackett here soon. I mean, today's loss uh, doesn't really – Uh, cement that uh, because we don't know we can try to speculate because what we're speculating is the win right we all figure that it's going to happen but you're trying to speculate when will it happen will it will it be after the Carolina game or will it be after the end of the season and for me it's still one of these wait and see George obviously George Payton isn't happy with the outcome the Walter Penner family are not happy with the outcome. When they bought this franchise, they knew that the franchise was having its issue, but they still knew the longstanding tradition of this organization and that being there is a standard and that standard is winning and they're trying to get back to those winning ways. And also keep this in mind. Once again, they inherited, you know, Nathaniel Hackett. He wasn't, uh, you know, their, their choice. They were not, really ask their opinion because this happened with, with the ownership changing after the fact. So could he say, couldn't it then you hack it say, Hey, listen, I t- and I told you this last week, you have a bunch of injuries. I don't have all the personnel that I need to. 
And everyone was saying that I needed to make the change. And I made the change. It was a tough change. And I took my guy, you know, Justin Allen. I kind of demoted him, even though I put him on the sideline closer to Russell to get more of the one-on-one -on -one attention. Hey, I put Clint Kubiak in. Hey, look how well that we, we, we've done. So th there's a part of me that feels as though, you know, Hackett is hand hanging on by a really, really, really thin thread. But I feel as though he's going to make it through the remaining of the season because they want to see if, in fact, there is some kind of improvement. Because here's what we're looking at, George. 24 unrestricted free agents after the end of the season. The Broncos have to evaluate them. And if they are considering moving on from Nathaniel Hackett, they are evaluating the coaching staff as well. Who would they like to retain on this coaching staff? It could be Clint Kubiak if the Broncos can go out and get a win against the Carolina Panthers. So there's a lot that's in stake here. But once again, I don't feel the Broncos are going to cut ties with Nathaniel Hackett right away. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think the question had to be asked because everybody's thinking about it. And we really haven't asked him about his, his job security um, yet. Also, Nick, I don't know if you're watching this Chiefs-Chargers game, but uh, the Chiefs are driving down four at the Chargers 22, 37 seconds left. So good finish there. Uh, but I, I think that there's no benefit to firing someone midseason like that. You know, maybe – you know, two games left, you do it. I don't know. But hey, look, there's still a chance for this thing to improve. I, again, I thought the offense actually looked a little better, uh, right? They still need to score more points, but we both said it. They they actually moved the ball. Um, you know, I didn't think the game management was bad other than throwing the ball on third down um, on that one play. So it, I, I don't think they're going to fire him. And, and Nick, here here's, here, there, here's one take I'm going to have, Nick. And I was thinking about this long and hard after the game, and I tweeted it out as well. And this is not in defense of Nathaniel Hackett because I think both can be true. I think you can say one that the the oh the the Chiefs just scored, they're going to win. Um, you can say this, Nick. Number one, that Nathaniel Hackett has not shown yet that he can be a good head head coach. So if you want to move on from from him, that's fine. I get it. But here's the bigger problem, Nick. And correct me if I'm wrong. You've been around. You've played for this franchise. Uh, you've won a lot of you won a lot of football games with this franchise. But in recent years, Nick, there is a culture problem with the Broncos, and I think that starts inside the locker room. And I'm not saying there's certain players they need to get rid of or anything like that. But you look at the last six years since the 2016 season when they had their last winning record. They have played in, I believe, 51 score games. They've won 19 of those games, Nick. 19. They're 19 and 31 in one score games in the last six seasons. This team, this franchise right now, doesn't know how to win those games. And that, to me, you can say that's on Hackett this year. Sure, whatever. But that tells me that there's a fundamental problem with the Broncos and it's that these guys don't know how to win. And I don't know what the solution is, Nick. I know there are some people tell me, well, like, why would you fix it? I don't get paid millions of dollars to <laughs> fix the Broncos. Okay. I'm not the general manager. I'm not sitting here telling you, I know how to fix it. But that to me tells me, okay, 
it's a problem this year, but it's been a problem for a while in Denver. And I don't know if continuing to hire and fire head coaches, you know, every couple years is the solution. I mean, even Justin Simmons said after the game, he said, you know, we've been talking a lot as veterans about the culture of this, of this team and of this franchise. I'm in my seventh year. Nate's my fourth head coach in seven years with the Broncos. And we still can't figure out how to win these games. And he goes, I don't know how we're going to fix it. We talk about trying to fix it. I get up here and I tell you that we're going to fix it. And we continue to fail to do so. And that to me, Nick tells me there's a bigger problem and that just firing Nathaniel Hackett and trying to do this all over again, is just going to fix it. I don't know, Nick, I just went on a rant. I just had to say it, but I was thinking long and hard about it. Cause I look, we can sit here and break down these games every single week, Nick. And, and I, you know, we should, and, and it's good to talk about what happens in each of these games. But at the end of the day, they don't know how to win. They don't know how to win these games. And uh, it, it's become a bigger issue than just, you know, blaming it all on the head coach, in my opinion. Well, here's what happens with, with this, George. When you've lost so many consecutive games and so many close games, you get down on yourself. And the last thing you want to do in the game or in life is utter this phrase, right? Publicly or said to yourself, if it wasn't for bad luck, I would have none. If you find yourself uttering those words, you've already set yourself up for failure. You've already succumbed and you've already given in before you even got to the final conclusion or that final act as though we would see in most movies. And I feel that that's where the Broncos are right now they don't have any faith and confidence in themselves to win close tight games this is the nfl there's 32 teams you're not going to score 40 points every game i'm sorry watching the, they just all you have to do is look at the buffalo bills a team that everyone thought was on a clear path to the super bowl they've had a couple of stumbles themselves it's just the fact that every man has to say i am not going to be the reason that we lose this particular game and even if you have to say that for four quarters, 60 minutes, constantly repeating it to yourself in order for you to believe that, then so be it. I just feel as though that is the problem. When we look at the Denver Broncos and we say, well, what is the identity of this team? Everyone is spinning their wheels trying to figure out what's the identity of the team. For me, I'm coming to this conclusion that that is the identity of the team. And what I mean is they don't think that they can win. Because the moment they get out to a lead, the one thing they do, the one thing they do that most people do who feel as though they haven't had a chance to be validated and succeed in life, they just wait for the other shoe to drop. And as soon as it drops, you go, you know what? There it is. I knew it was coming. Now it's here, right? Same old, same old. We can't do anything about it. That is where the Broncos are right now, George. That is the identity of the Broncos. They don't believe that they can push the boulder over the hill and actually see it roll down the other side. They don't believe. And I know it sounds crazy to say that here's a bunch of players that get paid a significant amount of money and they don't believe. But this is what happens when you lose games consistently. It's one thing to get blown out. One thing to get blown out. It's another thing to lose several consecutive games by one point or a touchdown. The Broncos have had four overtime games this season, George. Four. 
And I can only imagine what it's like being those guys in that locker room after the game, having your head coach stand up there and say the same thing over and over again. Draymond Jones said it himself. Hey, man, this losing has become a trend. I went to Ohio State, right? The Ohio State. And we've never lost like this. So it's new for him. And he's getting sick and tired of it. And if he's sick and tired of it, guess what? We've already heard from Broncos country. They're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So those guys can only turn this around by changing their mentality. You want to know how they change this? Talking is not going to do it. You just have to get out there and do it. Now, I just went on a rant. Well, I'm glad you – it sounds like you agree with me um, to an extent that it's just there's a culture problem, there's a mentality issue, right? Um, the mentality has to change. And it, it, I think I think some of it, Nick, is is they've probably become a little bit numb to it, right? Um, you know, some of these guys have been here. You mentioned Draymond Jones, Justin Simmons. Um, you know, these are guys that – Cortland Sutton, right? Um, these are guys that have, have been leaders on this team for a while, and they, they just see loss after loss. Uh, and it's almost like they see it coming, right? Um, and that's not to say they're out there like saying, oh, we're going to lose. But I think in the back of their heads, they're like, oh, no, here we go again. Um, and, and that's you got to get that out of you. And I don't know how to do that. Again, I've never was a professional athlete, but I'm just telling you from my view, I, I think that that's the heart of the issue. And again, I think you can say at the same time that, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's not going to be the guy to fix it. Uh, and maybe you move on from him and you get the right guy to try and come in and instill a new mentality. And, and I'm also not saying I know some people are like, well, Head coach has to be a part of that. I agree. I agree. Head coach has to come in and, and set a mentality and instill a culture and help change it. But so do the players. And more importantly, I would say the players are number one in, in, in changing that, especially some of these guys that have been here a long time. So I don't know, Nick. I don't know what the solution is. Maybe they can figure it out this year. Maybe Russell Wilson, you know, a guy that, that's been to the top of the mountain, can help change that mentality moving forward. Uh, I mean, he talked today, too, about – Hey, it's a long journey and I'm in it for the long haul and it's going to take, a, it's going to take some time and it's going to be ugly at times and it's ugly right now. Uh, but, but we believe we can turn this thing around. So I don't know, maybe he's the guy that can turn it around, but that's just kind of my, my final thoughts, Nick is, you know, the game is, it's just to the side for me, all these losses. I'm just like, what can we think big picture here? And, and big picture is the mentality and the, and the culture needs to change in Denver. Well, big picture is, you know, that mentality and that culture starts with those guys in the locker room at the end of the day. You can fire coach after coach after coach, right? But at the end of the day, it's about the guys in, in that locker room having faith in one another. And let's just say for the sake of argument, I'm not saying that this is true, but let's just throw out this hypothetical. Let's just say that the guys have lost faith in Nathaniel Hackett. The one thing that they can always take solace in is one another. Because I've been there before when we've lost faith in our coach and their ability to call plays and end and game management. The one thing that we could always lean on is that we believed in one another. Even if we didn't play for the coach, we wanted to play for one another. Now, I am not suggesting that the Broncos players have lost faith in Hackett. I am not suggesting that they've decided that they don't want to play for them, play for him. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, once again, is that it's the guys in the locker room that changes this because they're the ones that are on the field. 
even if that means, George, they have to force their coaches' hands by telling the coaches, here's what we want to do. What you were doing for 11 weeks isn't working. Here's what we want to do. At least try it our way. If it doesn't work out our way, then so be it. Your way wasn't working. That is what I'm suggesting. And thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Um, <laughs> that last, that la this last segment, Nick, felt like a venting session for you and I. Uh, worked out some demons there. Um, but uh, Nick, that's it for that's all I've got. Um, I don't know if you have any more final thoughts. I feel like we kind of aired it all out there, but um, kind of going to be a, a weird week with Thanksgiving. Obviously, this Thursday, we hope you guys. Um, you know, spend some time with your families, eat, eat a lot of turkey. I know I will be eating a lot of turkey. Uh, we will have another podcast this week, I believe, Nick. I don't know what our schedule will look like, but do you have any other final thoughts before we head out of here um, uh, for the game? Yeah. Uh, once again, enjoy your family's uh, life is precious. Uh, every, for the first 11 weeks, we got a chance to watch the Broncos and things have not worked out for, for them. And life is more than just the game itself. Uh, up in Colorado Springs, there were a couple of individuals who uh, lost their lives and a couple of individuals who were injured in the mass shooting. Uh, personally, George, I'm over the mass shootings. And I give the condolences to those uh, family members who lost someone in that shooting. But this, during the holiday season, this is the time to really be thankful for, you know, what we have, not what we want, but what we have, but the most important thing is be thankful that we have life. So that's how I end this podcast for me. Yeah, definitely. My, my thoughts and prayers also uh, with the folks up in Colorado Springs. I know, um, you know, working for the Gazette, um, we were on, on top of that coverage a lot today and, and reading some of the stories, uh, just a senseless tragedy um, and something that, you know, around the holidays, just, I think it hits a little bit more um, obviously when you're, when you're with, you know, loved ones and things. So definitely thoughts and prayers with them. Uh, but Nick, um, we thank everybody for listening. Uh, make sure you guys like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we will be back this week with an episode at some point. Um, but uh, thanks again. And, you know, maybe the Broncos will figure it out this week when they head to Charlotte to play the Panthers. You know, you, why, why are you saying that? You don't even believe that. I, mean, I know, on. I don't. I don't believe it at no. all. <laughs> But I will say the Panthers looked really bad today at times against the Ravens offensively. I don't know if they'll be able to score against the Broncos. So maybe you can you can hope for that. But, uh, but Nick, let's get out of here. Uh, it's late. The Chiefs just won. Of course they won. They always win. Um, but uh, let's get out of here. And thanks again for everybody listening to another episode of Touchdown Denver.